Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content, like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast, it's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com. Welcome to Season 2 of Under the Hood, a podcast series brought to you by Synapse. In this series, hosted by Synapse founder and CEO, Sankat Patak, Under the Hood takes a deep dive into various challenges and opportunities in fintech. Topics range from technical design and architecture to regulatory and policy challenges. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Under the Hood. Today, we're talking about fintech culture, failing forward fast, and the need for various regulatory sandboxes. And joining me for the discussion, I have Rodney Williams, who is the co-founder of Solo Funds, and Adam Shapiro, who's a partner at Claros Group. Guys, welcome. Would love to hear more about both of your companies, maybe give everyone an intro, and then would love to dive in. Rodney, awesome. do you want to go first? Definitely. Uh, first, uh, pleasure, pleasure to, uh, to be here. Uh, obviously, Rodney Williams, co-founder and president at Solo Funds. I would tell you the story about Solo all uh, stemmed from a personal experience of our friends and family needing access to, to capital and short-term loans. And, and when we looked at the market, we just felt that there, there weren't things that we thought um, was equitable enough. Um, we felt that we could bring something that built communities, but also um, gave back the choice and the power uh, to, to the people. And, and that was the premise for, for Solo. I think after we double clicked, we found out it was a much bigger problem than just our friends and family, where most Americans actually, uh, when they do have an, uh, an unplanned expense or an emergency, they actually need a resource to call on. So Solo is a marketplace that allows members to make a request uh, for up to $500. Um, they self-select a tip and donation. Uh, that's a gratuity, 100% optional and not required uh, to meet the obligations of the loan. Uh, and then uh, lending members, which are also like you and I, can scroll this marketplace and decide who to ultimately lend to. Uh, so um, that's essentially the product. It has a, a lot of other things, but that's what we do. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, thanks for being here. Adam, what about you? I, you've you had vast experience uh, from building financial products all the way down to regulations. Would love to hear, would love to have audiences give audiences some perspective into your background, your history, and what you're doing uh, currently as well. Sure. Thanks, Sankit. I think vast experience is probably a really tactful way of saying old there, but um, uh, oh I'll God. take it. Um, the <laughs> So, uh, I started my life as a regulator in the UK, um, amongst other things, um, being sort of chief of staff to the chairman of the agency there, and then running the consumer risk group. Um, at some point, I married an American and moved over here, um, just try and keep the accent. It fools people into thinking I'm smarter than I am sometimes. Um, <laughs> spent a bunch of time at a consultancy called Promontory, including sort of building and running the fintech practice group there, as well as working with more traditional institutions. Um, spent some time at BBVA, um, uh, helping build open banking APIs. Um, now, now, um, mainly spend my time co-founded a consultancy called Claros. We're basically a bunch of geeks that are fascinated by both what's happening in fintech and what happens in regulation and the intersection between the two. Um, 
we saw that there was a little bit of a market gap that um, sort of in this world, people's business strategies are usually totally intertwined with their regulatory strategies. And we saw a lot of people that were very good at advising on business strategies, a lot of people that are very good at advising on regulation, but that sometimes you need a group of people with um, the expertise in both to help put it together and work out how to optimize between the two. So we've set out to do that. Um, we work with kind of everyone from um, sort of pre-launch startups um, through to large banks that actually are interested in trying to do something different. Well, that's a great overview. Um, just to set up the topic a little bit, I think I've talked to both of you about this separately. I am very interested in hearing your thoughts on what do you think the fintech culture currently is? I could probably kick this off with my high-level thoughts. I think we're we're moving in the right direction where we're building more innovative and equitable products for people, which essentially is the goal. How can we democratize financial services for everybody? But I also fear that not everyone is set up for success in the sense that I'm not sure if the fintech culture currently incentivizes innovation in a safe way, which is can we fail forward fast, quickly, make mistakes and learn from them with the mindset being everyone's aligned from banks to fintechs to regulators, that we're trying to build something that actually has a positive impact on people. And how do we do it the fastest and the safest way possible is probably the biggest debate. But maybe to start off with you, Adam, like, how would you define the current fintech culture? Like, what do you think is working super well? What do you think is like an opportunity for growth? Maybe would love to hear your thoughts. Well, I mean, I'm very bullish about a lot of what happened, what's happening in the market, and I see all sorts of things. And I think the proof in the pudding um, is that you sort of see so many of the traditional players that are sort of end up copying a lot of the fintech innovators. And I, I know people like to grumble about that. I actually think that's a thoroughly good thing. It means the innovators are um, on to something. And it also helps spread the benefit of innovation quicker. And so from my point of view, sort of, I'm much more interested in getting really good financial products to consumers and small businesses than I am in sort of who ends up sort of delivering those. And I think this is just the whole sort of um, growth of fintech is a terrific positive for the financial services that real people have access to um, uh, overall. With that said, I mean, I do think that there are real challenges in how do you build safely here and recognizing that a lot of sort of what we do in the fintech world is solving for some of people's um, biggest and most important needs and that the stakes are just a lot higher than sort of some other um, products that other innovators work on. There's a real cost to getting this wrong. And in an odd way, I think the fintech world and the traditional world have sort of different sides of the same problem. I too often see fintech innovators 
not really understanding why we have the regulatory and compliance framework we do. And often when you're innovating in an area, you've really got to not just look at what the rules are, but why those rules are there and what's the underlying public policy reason that caused, um, which is usually a really good one that people agree with, that caused us to need those rules, and then working out how to apply it to their own um, product. And too often the people that have expertise in that come in slightly too late in the process and that actually um, can sort of lead to people going down blind alleys and ending up failing slower than they need to because they just didn't have the right people in the mix at the beginning. The traditional institutions kind of often have a different version of the same problem, which is that people are so scared of their compliance departments that the compliance departments don't come in until far too late. And, you know, I think the people that succeed best in both worlds are the people that can develop agile processes that sort of have that compliance and risk and regulatory expertise that's in the mix um, sort of really during the development process and not just as something that comes along sort of later um, at the end of the process. So Adam, that's that's a really, really good point. Uh, Is there something that you think one or two fundamental gaps that you think maybe fintech innovators don't get about building in financial services? Like are there a few areas that you're like, yeah, people really just, don't understand the specific thing about the banking and the regulatory and the finance culture that you would want to highlight? Well, I think one thing that really helps people build well is an understanding of the history of sort of what has caused problems that regulators, public policymakers more generally have legitimate concerns about. What can we learn from history about what's gone wrong? And sort of um, what does that mean for how we ought to um, build and what does that mean? So let me give you one example um, that um, I, I think it's kind of, it's a lot harder to sort of rein in sort of, um, it's important to understand the sorts of things where little things have caused a lot of harm to people. You can see a lot of that in terms of how things were or weren't explained in the mortgage crisis that caused a lot of harm in communities, actually, especially lower income and minority communities. And a lot of that stemmed from people just playing that little bit fast and loose with how they described their products and that adds up over time and just understanding that history you see why regulators will come down on something you could take for example the action that the um, Consumer Financial Protection Bureau took against LendUp. I I don't think LendUp was being malicious when they were talking about how they wanted to report things to the credit bureau. They just got ahead of their own product roadmap and they started describing things that weren't in place yet. And I think if they just realized sort of the way that sort of regulators were going to think about that, they would have been just more precise about what they'd have described and they would have avoided a series of issues that ended up being really detrimental to the company's ability to make progress. And It's kind of taking um, sort of understanding the history in this world and understanding the sins of perhaps some in the traditional industry that people are looking out for just helps people just 
build carefully and describe their products carefully. And if you're building really good product, um, the description of what it is without embellishment is going to stand by itself and you'll get a lot of customer loyalty from telling people exactly what you're doing. And that sometimes the need is just a little bit to sort of trust and the, the fact that you're doing things for a reason and that if you're just really you don't need to oversell those in order to um, be successful yeah um rodney turning to you i think you are like very quickly growing fintech i'd love to hear your opinions on what how do you define fintech culture what do you think is working quite well and where do you think there are areas of opportunities of improvement with the goal being kind of like, how do we put the best products in the hands of our customers as quickly as we can and democratize financial services? Like, what do you think is working? What do you think isn't working? Yeah, um, definitely I could spend an hour answering this question, but you know, I would tell you I'm excited about the FinTech ecosystem. I'm excited about the environment. I think for the first time in history, um, spokespeople, spokespersons of marginalized communities are finally building financial service products for the community that they are intimately aware of. And that's, the, that's, that's never been done. You know, you know, there was a comment that Adam talked about, you know, with the, alongside the mortgage crisis. Let's be very clear, the historical discrimination and of, of of communities are mostly done by larger financial institutions, historically. The, the, the largest institutions in the world are probably the biggest corporate, not the financial, not the fintechs, historically looking at data. So I, that's the, the lens that I come from. That's the lens that I see, right? The lens that I see is that, you know, we have a historical financial system who, who technically, um, you know, were was originally designed to to create inefficiencies that have hurt people, especially certain underserved communities. Then, then there's a series of changes and updates that have tried to right size that. But the biggest culprits of 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 hurting communities still are large institutions. Now. As it relates to fintech, uh, I think fintech as a community, as a technology, has made it easier for founders like myself with ideas to bring things to market and to do it not from the lens of the historical financial system, but from the lens of what's right and what's wrong. Right? It's very, very different, um, you know, for for me um, in that aspect. And that is definitely what's bad about the, the plat or what's what's tough about fintech is you know trying to do something new, trying to do something disruptive, um, trying to 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 rewrite the the wrongs of the predecessors uh, is really difficult, and the the level of scrutiny, especially in this current climate, is extremely high, right? And 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 that's also. It's, it's very expensive, you know? It's very expensive to navigate the regulatory environment of today, 
for, for any organization, especially a fintech. Let's, let's talk about a startup, right? And our journey, you know, four years ago, we participated in at least five startup accelerators. We went from couch to couch across the entire country, you know, right, raising money to then have a conversation with the regulator, right? Um, these are the challenges of, of the founders that are trying to go out and build something that they believe is equitable or new or different or that has an opportunity to make an impact in a way that hasn't been done before. That is challenging. I don't see it getting any easier, but that's that's what, that's what I don't like about um, the current fintech environment. I think there needs to be room for innovation. I think there needs to be room for disruption, especially within fintech and new startups, new competition. I think the regulatory environment around older, larger financial institutions probably needs to be more regulatory scrutiny around them because they continue to be the biggest, uh, they tend to be, do the most damage. You know, um, I can, uh, if I drive down my neighborhood in, in West Adams um, in Los Angeles, I can't find a Chase Bank. I can't find a Wells Fargo, but I can't find any large financial institution. What What's there is what's left, right? And that's, what's left? That's, what's left is the, the, the check cashing place. The, what's left is the Western Union place. What's left is like, it's the worst, it's the, it's, the, it's the worst financial service products that that community could possibly have if they're thinking about changing their p potential financial s situation, right? It's what's left there is it's no one wants to innovate in that market, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what I'm ultimately getting at. Um, so, and, and why do you think Chase isn't there? Like what what is driving Chase out and driving these predatory check cashing money order places in? You know, I, I, it's tough for me to answer that question for, for that large institution, but I, I can tell you what, the, what, my, what my sense may be. Um, I think that historically, it's just been a better business decision to focus on market segments with higher deposit potential, um, larger income. Um, it's just, I think it's financially may, may, may be better um, dependent. Um, I think that there's a lot of misconceptions with certain communities um, that uh, that data and technology can 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 undo, but those misconceptions tend to still drive um, the the way we innovate. And there's a misconception, for example, um, that you know these individuals are financially illiterate. For example, that that is a completely incorrect uh, assumption. Um, I give you an example. Number one, 82% of our members are from underserved zip codes, but 49% of our borrowers have a college degree, right? That's completely opposite of what someone would say about this community. Um, and it, it's not that they're financially illiterate, it's that they're living on a very, very tight budget, right? And um, I, I have participated in this exercise, not by choice, but... If I, I would I would love to have both you guys participate. If I give you twenty dollars and say you need to make this work out from Monday to Friday, <laughs> that that's the life of this yeah. user. But, they, but they're going to work. You know, they're educated. They they understand finances. 
they're just on a very they don't have a margin of error as it relates to paying things you know i'd i'd agree with that it's kind of my experience is that absolutely the best financial managers and budgeters are the people that really have to watch out for um every cent and it's kind of like you're not going to have any forgiveness for um any mistakes that um they make and i do think that this is something that is hard sometimes for sort of people in fintech who want to solve everything for fintech to realize that there is so much that we can do but there are some things here that actually are a lack of money and i i think that sort of like that's um, a really good question for everyone that's trying to serve the mass market to ask what are the problems that we can solve for people but let's also be realistic about what problems we can't solve and not sort of have the humility to realize we're only going to be part of the answer and work out what part of the answer we can be but how much of this is a cash flow problem and how much of this is just like having no disposable income altogether right because like if you're I, first off i'm surprised by rodney the data you're telling me close to half of the customers in solo funds have a college degree so i'm assuming at some point that is going to materially impact their wealth what what's the reason why has it not yet and then to adam's point like is this a problem that can be solved or is this a problem that's just a cash problem and it cannot be solved altogether yeah i mean for for solo i i saw this problem increase crime not just mess up your credit and 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 i'm just going to be very clear you know i've had family members you know get a flat tire lose their job cuz they didn't go to work that next day um the light bills due on friday and their kids are starving and within that 24 time period this hard working part of the because there's no discretionary capital no savings right um this particular person had to contemplate selling things or stealing that's just what they had to judge. It was a luxury to to be able to go to a payday lender. But said differently, they were actually smart enough to not go to a payday lender. Because they were like, you know, I'm already from a credit standpoint, I'm I'm probably up to my leverage in terms of credit. You know, if I go into a payday lender, I there's no chance I have a chance I'm going to pay this back. That's going to increase the fees over time. It's ultimately it's just going to put me in a worse situation. Right. So, you know, these types of shortages in cash flow is and, and I, there's a shortage in cash flow that requires very, very detailed budgeting. But then there's unplanned expenses and emergencies that completely disrupt the their ability to 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 live as a human. Right. Yeah. It, it The result is a bad choice um, in most cases. So so what does this need? Does this need a disruption in the business model a change in the regulatory landscape like assuming just thinking out loud if you're going after the market like this as an entrepreneur the traditional fike one writing isn't going to work so you're going to need a different solution and like is that just an underwriting solution is that a monetization solution and then how does the regulatory landscape fit into all of that would love to hear your thoughts on that i mean we we designed solo to address each one of these things very very specifically 
Um, and we took all the little intimate knowledge. I like to say I have a PhD in this community, right? So number one, we, we underwrite based on cash flow. We do not use credit report. It's, it's, not, it's not a realistic measure. When you think about during COVID, I think the, your credit scores was like at an all-time high. Meanwhile, the majority of Americans are waiting on a stimulus check, right? It's not a real-time measure. Um, and, it, and it has no forward-looking capabilities, right? Um, when you think about cash flow and then you think about, you know, your pay period coming up, that, that data is actually really, really significant data and being able to predict abilities, uh, a person's ability to, to repay at a particular moment in time. It's proven for us, for example, to be three times um, better. Our score uh, is actually three times better than traditional um, scoring methods that payday lenders ultimately um, use. To say differently, our repayment rates are over 90%. Um, of our borrowers. Now, the, the other pieces that we, we did um, that was really important, it, for us, we needed to remove the institution. There's just a significant lack of trust in this community um, for financial institutions. Final institutions have, have just not lived up to the commitments um, that they have made. And what I, for us, that meant empowering another human, another individual to be their lender. Right. That, that's what that meant. It's like if you remove the institution from the transaction, um, we felt that that human to human connection would give us a platform to teach uh, financial literacy. And what I'm ultimately saying is that like 100 percent of the capital on our platform is actually by another member. And when a person on our platform gets a loan, they know that Mike from Idaho ultimately funded that loan. It also... Um, teaches them that this is also really important for us by giving borrowers the choice on what they're going to pay. It, you have to teach borrowers that there's a cost. There's a cost to being late. There's a cost to not paying on time. There's also a less cost if you pay on time, right? Um, one of my favorite stats is that with every request that a borrower makes on solo, they actually self-select less to tip and less to donate. By the time they get to the like their, for example, like six loan, they're not donating to solo at all. 19% of our loans funded on our platform actually do not have a donation to the company, but they always tend to have a tip to the lending member, right? It's mm-hmm. like when you go get a piece of, when you go get coffee from Starbucks and you, you want to tip the barista because the barista did a great job, right? It's the same way that when someone, you know, has a flat tire and a stranger gave them $200, they're going to tip them because they understand that that person went over and beyond um, to, 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 to help me in this situation. Um, but that's how we designed this platform. I, I would tell you, we're, we're not the Andreessen Horowitz FinTech or the NEA FinTech or the QED FinTech. I can name them all, right? Um, we, don't, we didn't raise a huge war chest of capital. We've raised $14.5 million, but we've done over 400,000 loans. We're doing 40,000 loans a month. We're growing 20 to 30%. It does not matter. We, play, we spend $0 on marketing, right? It's because we've actually delivered something that borrowers feel empowered to use. They tell everyone about it. And then we also built something that lenders are still feel very, very connected to this community. Um, 82% of our lending members are also, they also live in underserved zip codes. So they're like the, the, the person living in the townhome 
um, lending to the folks in public housing right down the street. Like a perfect example of this would be like Harlem. Um, and, I, and I live with my final last stat that I think tends to blow people's mind. 30% of our borrowers have also lent. What is that? Oh, wow. Um, I, I'll give you the insight that we always had at Solo. If you go into these communities, every church has an informal savings club. Every church does loans. I know this. Every neighborhood has someone they can actually borrow from. It's the informal savings club. It's the informal economy. Uh, you know, other ethnic origins of the world, they call them different things. Um, Susu, they call them partners in Caribbean culture. But we, we have a society where communities are developing their own informal financial service products because we have left them behind. And it's not that they're not capable of borrowing or not capable of lending or not capable of making the choice. It's that it's, it's just the products that are standard and traditional aren't necessarily designed with their view on how to make it all work. I'll ask you a direct question. Do you think the current regulatory, do you think the current regulations even allow for this product to exist? Like, or do you think the regulations have to change? Yeah. Because to your point, it seems like people are going outside the system and doing this informally, nonetheless. Yeah, you know, this is this is my third this is my third venture back company. Um, I used to work at Procter and Gamble. I, I was at age top forty under forty at twenty seven years old. Financially, I'm going to be okay. If yeah. this company ex doesn't exist tomorrow, I'm going to be okay. Yeah. When I decided to start solo, it was to do something right. Right. It was right. And this is the right thing. I think for this to 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 be supported, um, it's it, it, we may have to change or regulation is going to have to change. I, I do believe that that, you know, in certain states and certain things, we're going to have to possibly be different. My goal, though, is that I hope that this model can be sustained. Um, I, and, and there's honestly, we do have supporters, yeah. right? We do have advocates for what we are doing. One of the biggest reasons why we, we, we became a, a B Corp, honestly, after a year long process of them assessing this model versus other models, they came to the same conclusion that this was probably the most equitable thing they, they've ever seen. And it needs to be supported. Now, whether, you know, what that regulatory structure looks like, ultimately, I think we're open to it. And I'm looking forward to the discussion. Yeah. Adam, uh, I know you don't have any visibility into solo specifically, but what are your thoughts generally on like how can fintech innovators approach novel business models and novel underwriting models, things that are kind of like, to Rodney's point, really trying to scale a model that it seems like a lot of these people are doing uh, uh, informally anyways. Like how, what's your advice? Well, I appreciate you saying that because just simply out of fairness to Rodney, when I f follow a description about what he's doing there, it would be easy for listeners to think that I'm implicitly saying things about solo funds when in fact I'm meeting Rodney for the first time yeah. today. So I just want to be um, sort of fully fair to him that nothing I say here should be implicitly read across to solo funds. Um, I do think that innovators in this area face some really challenging structural problems, and it's important to recognize that right up front. Um, the first off is that the U.S. Um, has an incredibly fragmented regulatory system. Um, 
if you look at the EU system that I grew up with, you can get one regulator and that will cover you in 27 different countries. Um, in the US, often if you're um, not a bank and you're not partnering with the bank, you can try need to maybe have sometimes 57 different state, district and territory regulators in order to cover one country. And um, it's kind of that is really challenging if you're an early stage startup trying to get off the ground. And um, as you know, well, Sankit, there are some solutions to that. You can partner with banks and effectively do things under the umbrella of banks. There's, there are things, workarounds, but it makes for a challenging environment. And we'll come back to that later when we talk about sandboxes and how useful they can be in this country. Um the second thing to say is that I think our lending regulatory system has largely been built around larger dollar loans. And that if you look at sort of the disclosures and the impact of the disclosures, um, sort of, it can be very hard to fit sort of a hundred dollar short term loan that you pay no interest but a dollar fee on into an existing point. That loan has an APR um, of roughly 50%, mm -hmm. um, which is actually illegal in a whole load of states mm -hmm. um, in the country. And that this is where you end up with this great bifurcation between sort of the wide variety of lenders products available to people like me and um, then there's a huge missing middle until you get to the really bad abusive products like the um, payday lenders that Rodney was talking about and all institutions fintech and otherwise struggle with that missing middle um, so this makes this a really challenging area to work in I think uh, at a practical level this leads to a number of consequences about how you do it. The first off is to, there may be places where it's advantageous to partner with, um, whether it's a bank directly, whether it's a banking as a service partner, the partners with a bank, or whether it's uh, someone you could look at sort of initiatives like Onbow that are trying to make some innovative use of um, state licenses that they have to support um, other people's products. Um, a lot of the time that area is um, sort of something that is going to be just really helpful um, for people. The other thing, I think this is where there's also a tendency to look for solutions where you can say this is not a regulated product. And that's where, for example, quite a lot of the earned wage access industry has gone. If you're looking at people saying this is a non-recourse cash advance and therefore the regulations don't apply. And that's an understandable argument and those, um, and those people have good legal opinions often to back it up. Um, and I, I understand why people go there. Where I think people can then fall down is then sort of not asking, well, going back to my original comments, what are the regulations and what are the principles behind the regulations and how do we show that we're meeting them? How can we be really make the really compelling case that we have truly fairly and completely explained the product and how it works um, to our customers and how we can show if someone asks us that, yes, this may not be, if you go down that route, this may not be a regulated structure, but 
by God, we're doing everything that a regulated company would do and then some, and our consumers are not being disadvantaged um, by this. And look, here's our complaints handling program that um, follows all of the CFPB's guidelines, regardless of whether they apply, and so on and so forth. And just taking it's it's where people take shortcuts at sort of building their ability to make that claim that um i think that you can occasionally get people that sort of make it harder for other innovators that are doing those things yeah but to your point in areas where there's no regulation something very novel and new what i'm hearing if i'm hearing this right you have to you're you're having to take a risk maybe you don't have to take the risk but it's at the end of the day you look at earning you look at dave you look at soul you look at a bunch of these companies they didn't inherit a regulatory model that would have just worked for the business they're trying to do so what else what other option do you have other than you have to take a business risk if you really care enough about the mission yeah, and I think the question is, anyone founding um, a company is going to be taking a lot of risk. Yeah. I mean, if you look at Earning, um, it's sort of, Ram was taking a lot of business risk that the tip-only model was going to work in financial services. It wasn't just regulatory risk yeah. that he was taking. Everyone faces a real risk of not finding product market fit um it's kind of um i don't think there is anything in that sense very unique about the fact that you have to take some re regulatory risk um yeah. but um, like all the other risk you take it's a question of doing that smart analysis to sort of find the some, somewhere that's the right point on the efficient risk reward frontier to give your business the best chance of success and where I've seen um, some people go off the rails is where they think that sort of, you know, if you're going to say you're not regulated, that means that you don't want to do the things regulated firms do um, because that might be an admission of sort of some people I think have come to see that as a tacit agreement that uh, they should be regulated. And I don't think that is. I think it's understanding that you have to draw the line between regulated activity and unregulated activity somewhere else. But if you're just on the unregulated activity side yeah. of the line, then you've sure as hell got a lot to learn from the regulated activity of the line. And um, there's all sorts of principles that sort of are followed for good reasons to do with um, ensuring sort of um, really the really good customer experience and understanding that builds long-term loyalty that you can pick from yeah. that side of the line and yeah. so it's it sort of it's not about trying to eliminate regulatory risk lots of startups have to take that to a greater or lesser degree it's about managing it well exactly i think your point is regulated or unregulated operate like you're regulated oh. yep rodney um Recently, you ran into a disagreement with um, Connecticut on the model. Um, uh, do you want to talk more about that? Uh, do you want to talk about kind of like what what happened there and um, how you navigating and thinking through that? Uh, not 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 specifically, but I, I will. <laughs> you know, I, I will talk about. Um, I think indirectly, you know, just going back to to Adam, a couple points that Adam made, you know when you decide to 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 do something innovative and disruptive um you just have you have challenges 
back to the, you know, at the end of the day, this could have failed dramatically. Yeah. Right. There's tips and donations and optionality and giving choice to the borrowers and underwriting based on cash flow. I mean, the whole thing could have failed. And to be honest, everyone thought it would fail. No yeah. one actually thought that we would reach the scale that we are today. So the business risk, we took it and we I think we won there. We, we got product market fit. Everyone wants to talk to us. So let's, <laughs> let's cheers. Um, uh, I actually think we, we put together an, like the most incredible purpose-driven team I have ever seen do what we have done on the shoestring budget that we've done it. But nonetheless, um, that, that there should be accolades there. And I'm really proud of the team. Now, our regulatory, regulatory um, journey is just going to be complicated. Um, it's going to take time. Um, we welcome regulatory scrutiny. Um, we regulate conversations. Um, but we understand the complexities on a state-by-state basis. We understand the complexities even at the federal level. Mm-hmm. And for something that is truly new, because we are not an, a wage advance company. We are not earning. We're not Dave. We're not... We're not even lending clubs of the past. Like we're not our, our predecessors. We are something new. I just, you know, my, so it's going to be challenging. My, my goal though, um, and my hope for regulators, regulators and naysayers and all of the individuals who have an opinion about things is that like, let's look at the data. Let's figure out what works, what doesn't. Let's figure out if, if there can be a framework that we can fit in. And, and we, we are more than willing to do so. Um, I, my ideal situation is a sandbox. My ideal situation is a time period where our, what we're seeing you know, can ultimately um, be shown to the world as a, as a new type of model. Yeah. And I, I would, I, you know, one of my things that like, what I, I'm very excited about is uh, when you give this, these borrowers a choice and they self-select less over time. That's something that we've seen over 400,000 loans. Like, what is that? What is that concept that when you, when, you know, I, we believe that like, you know, you only can, te- you can't teach financial literacy. You got to give them money and let them do something with it. <laughs> right. Um, so this concept of like, number one, paying the loan in, in, its, in its entirety. Right. That's a concept that isn't taught in my community. We're taught to get the credit card. We max it out and we pay over time. Paying over time is like the worst thing to tell someone who's on a budget because all that pay over time small fee turns into is another budget item, mm-hmm. right? Versus something that they need to actually remove from the budget, right? So this concept of like short-term, pay it in full, but when you do pay on time, the next time it's cheaper. You're instantly rewarded the next time. It's cheaper, you get more money, right? Um, Conceptually, there's just there's a lot of uh, really strong value that we're seeing, um, and we want to showcase that data. We want to we want we want to partner with industries, and and there's there's something here. There's something special. Yeah. Um, and there's also something special when you think about the next challenge. We you know we don't talk about building credit. We don't even talk about reporting credit. But I will tell you, like we have something special when I when I can show a borrower who's paid. A, a short-term loan eight times yeah. and, and never has been late. Like how can that, that should be able to positively affect their credit report. Today, um, non-installment loans don't. <laughs> like I will tell you, everyone thinks our fight is the, is, the, uh, is the usury claims or tips and donations. No, no, we, 
we have a product innovation roadmap that extends way past this. This was the most novel and simplest MVP thing that we could do to prove this concept that people can help people and that technology can validate them and underwrite them better. The future looks bright. I want to highlight a couple of things here. One, what I'm hearing from you is you actually encourage and you want more regulatory involvement and you want to be able to demonstrate and explain the model and the benefits of it. Because clearly it seems like it's helping people phenomenally. The second piece that is very interesting, one thing about Solo that is key to highlight is people don't technically have to tip, right? Like they don't really have to tip, but it seems like mostly everybody's tipping. And to your point, mostly always paying on time. What do you think is driving that? What do you think is driving this behavior of we're going to tip, we're going to pay back, and we're going to by and large pay back on time? I think it's something that they actually, it's familiar to them. It's familiar because they take loans from friends and family or from strangers in their community today. And more importantly, there's, they, to this community, financial services are faceless organizations. They're irrelevant. Um, they don't, they don't, they, it's like, it's almost like neutral. There's like no feeling <laughs> when they see Chase. Like, just, just, it's just like, that company doesn't understand me, right? If I, I can go in there and try to apply for a $200 loan and I might get laughed. And, and <laughs> like, that's what realistically might what, what would happen. So I think for, for us, this, the, the human part, they understand it. They understand tipping. They understand, they don't even understand APR. Yeah. Sometimes like, I get a little frustrated because, you know, some people think that we use the tip and the donation structure as a way to kind of bypass regulatory. And it's not about tip and donation. We don't care about the naming exercise. It's about the choice, right? When you go on our platform, on our website, it says borrow on your own terms. We just wanted the choice and we needed to communicate the choice of cost. What's the cost of capital? We needed that choice to be something they understood, right? And then they could change it however they want. And, and, and when you talk to our borrowers, they say that, no, there's no disagreement about what it costs. They're like, it costs this, I selected it. <laughs> and, uh, and I can't wait to get my score up so I can choose less, right? And um, I think Solo has benefited enough from me, I'm, but, I'm, but I'm never gonna not tip my lender. That's what they would say. That honestly blows my mind always to this day because we're taught that we're not that empathetic to each other. We're taught that we hate each other. We taught that like there's different groups and organizations and I actually believe that humans are humans. And if you give a human an opportunity, in most instances, they will show up. So that's, we used to call it a social experiment, but at our, at our current volume, I don't think it's a social experiment anymore. <laughs> no, it's a legitimate business, no social experiment. It's like you're scaling a model that is, um, to your point, very, very intimately, people are very used to this. And what you're doing is you're just scaling this up so that it's not just stuck within a community, but people can go much beyond. Yeah, I, I give you an example, and this is just true stats. From downloading our app to making a request and getting funded, 
it's less than 15 minutes. Wow. That's magic. Yeah. Right. That's the mom on the side of the road, flat tire. What do I do? Someone in my community told me about solo. I download it. I get money and it's in my account before the tow truck comes. That's magic. It's, I, I used to think the first time I ever ordered Uber, I thought I was the man <laughs> by the way, but I thought it was magic because like, I was like, you know, I looked in the car. I was like, you're, you're going to give me a ride. Like, what's your name? Like, are you really going to take me to wherever I want to go? Like, this is, this is fantastic. Right. That's, <laughs> that's the equivalent of needing a hundred dollars. And yeah. in 15 minutes, it shows up in your account. So I, I just think this, this just, I think when we call it win, 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 right. There's win, win scenario for all of us. We believe our borrowers can get access to capital when they need it. They can price it and they can repay it back. But more important, they're repaying back the lender. They're not repaying back solo. Yeah. We just, we're just trying to make this thing as efficient as possible from a cost perspective. Like we operate at really slim margins. That's why like, you know, we, we, you know, B Corp has seen our financials and, and every now and then regulators have to as well. I'm like, you can go and figure out what you want to go out and take. But this is an example of a company that has chosen people over profits. I, I can break out my cogs and, and, and you can help me too, right? Number one, we, we do not do ACH. <laughs> we, we move money the most expensive way, yeah. which is push and pull payments because we believe that you, money you, should be built. Are you instant. trying to negotiate your contract yes, right on I'm air? To, That's what you're trying to do? <laughs> it's the most expensive option. And oh my yeah. God, I remember my co-founder was like, we have to give them money immediately. And I was like, we can't afford it. Yeah. Like we can't buy the underwriting data from Plaid and verify them with all AML KYC and make sure like there's not fraud and move money. And no. the only fee is optional. Yeah. Yeah. Like no. we don't charge any mandatory fees for signing up. There's no subscription service. No. There's no instant. I want my money instantly fee. There's nothing. Yeah. <laughs> we no. do not. And, and that's when, that's that's the stuff that I talk about. Like, forget the laws. Assess the company. Look yeah. at the financials. <laughs> yeah. I, so anyway, no, that's super helpful. I think one thing you mentioned here that, um, listening you just you talk about this, and one thing that you mentioned is, um, hey, we'd love a regulatory sandbox. So maybe like let's pivot there for a second. Adam, you mentioned this as well. What what is a regulatory sandbox well um so that's something that can be very much in the eye of the beholder and the, i think there are a variety of sort of um, models that we've seen around which uh, sort of range from the very simple i'm trying to get something off the ground i can go and talk to a regulator about it and sort of almost bounce some ideas off them through to very formal, we will give some kind of cover to the process of something that would normally be either definitely or um, possibly against regulations. And you can see that in the US most closely in what the um, CFPB run in terms of Project Catalyst and having mm -hmm. the ability to get no action letters, the ability to try trial disclosures where um, sort of existing disclosures don't work well. Um, 
Um, so uh, th- there's a range of actions. Inside. There are some things that are in the middle where a regulator just says, this is interesting. We're going to come along and we're going to observe what is happening. And we're probably not going to give you a no action letter. But the fact that we're here and not yelling might give you some comfort. And so uh, effectively, um, there are a range of models here. There are some challenges that are, again, specific to what I was talking about, about the sort of multiplicity of regulators in this country. It's kind of like, let's say the state of Wyoming sets up a sandbox that allows you to maybe operate for a bit without a license, which is another possibility maybe to operate with a novel interpretation of Wyoming law or something that is against the law. Um, there are, what, 600,000 people in Wyoming. Um, it's kind of, that's not necessarily going to be a great scalable business. It's not, I think, possible for early stage um, founders to go and sort of, if they're going to be subject to state regulation, go and deal with 50 different state sandboxes. Um, there may be some models that are exceptions. Like there might be some in insurance, some in larger dollar lending, where you could, in a larger state, um, start to scale a business. Um, so I'm all in favor of regulators engaging, looking to be flexible. I do believe that it would be good for the world for regulators to have a somewhat higher sort of reveal preference risk tolerance to new ideas that could benefit consumers and small businesses. But um, what I don't see is that there's a sort of like a cure-all panacea um, here. Um, if I were to try and get closest to that, um, I might look to try and encourage sort of some of the larger states, um, especially some that have shown interest in innovation, California and New York, to be a little bit more aggressive, the bigger the state, the sort of the more there's sort of scope to do that. Um, I would also probably encourage to try and get maximum use out of sort of the existing regulatory structure. We've got good coordination between the states. Um, Possibly the most important regulatory organization that few people in fintech have heard of is um, an organization called um, the CSBS, the Conference of State Banking Supervisors, that is the umbrella organization of all the state regulators. And they run a lot of the shared technology between states. I could see something great where different states with sandboxes could basically sign up to applications and you could sort of almost apply to all the states at the same time and see who was interested in working with you. Um, so there are things that we can do, but we should just absent any sort of federal fin- um, non-bank, non-securities fin- uh, charter that is available to fintechs um, there is actually sort of real limits, I think, to what um, sandboxes will practically achieve um, for um, early stage founders who can only spend so much time realistically um, talking to regulators um, in between sort of finding good product, finding the right go-to-market strategy. And so it's a really interesting area. I'm very pro-US regulators doing more, but just I think it's important to recognize that it's very hard to find a silver bullet given the regulatory structure we've got here. Is there something in the horizon that you think is promising in providing a more agile regulatory landscape to companies that are just getting started? Um, 
So I have to squint a bit at it, but um, it's, um, I do see the states that are having made a lot of progress in terms of increasing coordination and the ability to rely on each other's work. And there's someone who sadly passed away um, recently, John Ryan, who ran the CSBS, the organization I drew that has been is skeptical himself of a lot of fintech innovation, but has always been open-minded. And I hope the trend that he started and worked with many state regulators um, to achieve towards greater coordination and greater efficiency of process and to be able to respect the ability to set state law that the U.S. system allows whilst making that more sort of um, seamless or um, um, and more navigable um, to early stage companies. I think um, that there is a trend there and if that could be built on into a sort of some kind of collective sandbox of the type that I was talking about. I also do see some hope that there are some, I think, organizations doing some really good work that sort of with regulators, but slightly from the outside. Um, the Alliance for Innovative Regulation is one of them. The um, Financial Innovation Lab is another. And I do see that on sort of industry-wide policy issues, there are more mechanisms to try and um, sort of create good dialogue on innovation to um, sort of you know, try and sort of avoid the status quo bias that can, is very easy to creep into regulatory systems. So yeah. th there is some hope in all of those things, but um, it, it's kind of, I think, notwithstanding that, you're uh, still going to have to, if you're thinking of starting a fintech company, um, you need to assume that you're not going to get a magic answer to this. You need to work yeah. out sort of who in your network can give you good advice about how to think about it, who can explain to you sort of what the issues are, because um, there is nothing I see on the horizon that's going to fundamentally solve for, for the challenges we're talking about here. Yeah. Rodney, what are your thoughts? Like, given your experience, every state, by and large, opines on their own. And fintechs always, like, in early stage companies, always on a budget. Like, how how are you navigating something like this? How do you think through this? Is there something you're optimistic about? <laughs> it's, a, <clears throat> it's a challenge. Like, I mean, we... We spent about $150,000 on regulatory legal before we wrote a line of code. A, a series of opinion letters, surveys, um, and then we did it with another firm and they said two different things. <laughs> so Adam, I, I, and we used the best. That's the problem. It doesn't matter. Because I'm going to tell you, there was a lot of folks and firms that in the last administration felt that we were going to be okay. <laughs> and, and they believed that the model had some challenges, but they ultimately felt more positive than they felt today. Right? <laughs> so when, with the complexities on a state-by-state -state level and at the federal level, no consensus, especially on a simple, like, certain lending laws, right? Uh, that it, it's it's impossible 
for an early stage startup to do something disruptive. It's much easier for them to follow someone. Hey, I someone as someone I can be the new X. <laughs> it's much easier to be the new X than to say I want to reinvent Y. I want to be like I want to do something completely very different. And that was my biggest challenge is that everybody kind of just wanted to turn us into an institutional lender or what lending club, but you know, they all kind of got into trouble differently in terms of the SEC and the secondary sale of those assets. So long story short, it's really difficult. It's, it's, it was extremely difficult. You know, question for Adam, because what has happened to us in particular is that we have started to gain attention and advocacy um, from other geographic regions in the world that say, this model, I like this model, right? And, and we, you know, and you go to other regions in the world, there are microfinance licenses. There are licenses dedicated to these types of communities that need these types of services, right? Um, and then in Mexico, I think there's a FinTech law, right? <laughs> When when does the U.S. decide to create law or regulation for for services like you get back to your point, Adam? Small dollar loans, small like products that aren't necessarily going to be mainstream in their eyes. But if you talk about the number of people who are going to use them, they're definitely more mainstream than mortgages, right? Um, when when do you think uh, the U.S. kind of starts to head in that direction? So. I think it's challenging. The um, I don't need to say that you bet against um, sort of um, almost anything getting done that requires legislation in Washington, and I think it would require legislation to um, come up with some kind of new federal charter that um, um, puts consistent standards that were an or rather than an and to state-by-state law in relation to non-bank lending. Uh, I do think that, um, so I I, I think it is a challenge and it is sometimes harder to go first. You mentioned Lending Club. Um, um, It's kind of like, to some extent, Lending Club benefited from being able to watch Prosper's stumble and were able to overtake um, them. And I mean, I think, and again, just being very clear that sort of I'm um, uh, I, I'm not commenting um, on anything related to you per my earlier comments because I just don't have the information to, but I think you do just have to try and um, engage with the regulators, listen closely. I think it is also important to have in your mind who the next regulator is going to be. Um, spent a lot of time telling people in 2017-2018 that if um, the Democrats won in 2020 that um, likely think about the fact that sort of decisions on enforcement actions about things that are happening now are going to be made by a different appointee in the CFPB and so you always need to be looking around the corner a little bit at the next regulator um, and I mean, and then I think what this comes down to, you do all of those things, you find people that um, are the right balance between sort of understanding you need to take risk and giving you advice, they help you 
uh, interpret what you're hearing when you talk to regulators. But with all of that, there is going to be a dose of luck about who ends up in trouble, who ends up being able to build a regulatory moat behind them because they find um, something that works. Um, But I mean, my view is... I've seen people have sort of the counsel of despair that you can't do this, so we might as well try and scale outside the system. And I think everyone that I've ever sort of seen that takes that approach ends up, it does end up catching up with you already. And, you know, you I think you have to just try and get things done within the system. My side hustle, I should have mentioned this at the start, is that um, I'm an advisor to a um, fintech VC called Core Innovation Capital that in full disclosure is an investor in Synapse. Um, um, We have a portfolio company called Arrived that it works in fractional real estate. Um, It's um, they had a really painful get off the ground process because they went through the SEC, which is a challenging regulator to navigate as an innovator and they found it really hard to first off get a construct that the SEC would sign off with and then get a process by which the SEC would sign off on it um, such that they didn't have to go back on a property by property basis um, in terms of what they were doing. Um, they, I think they gave themselves the best shot they could um, by that process. And it's kind of, uh, I, I think it's really easy for people to take the view that, well, this is so hard, we kind of need to take the Uber approach of ignoring it. And that, that just doesn't work with financial regulation. Again, because I'm following a comment about sort of um, that was out of your own experience, say yet again, there's no implicit commentary on anything you did or didn't do. It sounds like um, you did put a lot of time and effort into this at the early stage. And that's where there is a degree that sort of some of this is um, you give your, you're giving yourself the best odds. You're not um, making yourself bulletproof in this world. Hearing all of this, I, I have I have. I have a question, which is, um, you as a fintech, do you think you have a fear of failing or failing forward fast? Does the current environment make that harder? Or do you think, to Adam's point, I think the point that he made that was a good perspective, which is like, this is no different than any other business risk. You have go-to-market risk, product market fit risk, and then you have a regulatory risk. Yeah, um, I'm a, I'm a firm believer. It's my third venture. Um, as a founder, I'm in the business of managing risk, right? I'm in a risk manager in a in a very broad sense. So, yeah, I mean, you you have it absolutely right. Um, I'm I'm assessing the the risk of failure all the time, right? And I'm mitigating those risks, and 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 especially in this fintech climate. Um, you know, we, we have advocacy and we, we don't, we, we also have the opposite, but we also have innovation, um, product innovation that, um, is, is, is getting more advocacy, right? And, 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 um, what I, my job is I got to make sure that product innovation stays as close to my current product market fit as possible. And, and, and then there's an X factor, time, 
I don't know how much time I have. Time is risky, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and, and then the other part is capitalization because risk for uh, a venture um, and, and risk means something different to, 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 to VCs. We've never been a fan of a VC. Um, uh, but um, I, I like to think that we're, we're doing, a, we're doing a, the best job we can, but I think we're doing a, a good job. You know, what, what I'm excited about is the, the innovation that we have. I'm, I am excited. I'm also, I also want to commend the regulators that have worked with us. You know, it's not all the, what the headline reads. Um, I, I would say that there's, there's definitely been um, regulators that are more open to dialogue and discussion. Um, to Adam's point, it's different on a state-by-state basis, but it's definitely there. Um, yeah. and, 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 and that's, that's hopeful. Um, that is, that's the stuff that we like and, and we, 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 that's hopeful for sure. Um, so, you know, it's so, you know, <laughs> we're going to manage these risks and we're going to continue to, to try to, you know, bring products to, to, to markets that, um, we believe are, are, are much needed or are, are much underserved. We're going to bring much needed solutions and we're going to try, we're going to bring it at a scale that I think. Um, has has been unmatched. Um, I think the the team that we have is completely capable um, to, to 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 shift and adjust. Um, and that's probably that's me managing my risk, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so um, I think uh, we no matter what, I think that the future looks extremely bright. That's good to hear. Uh, I will actually admit when I started this conversation. Um, as I've mentioned this, I I worry that the change in the mandate um, at the federal level and um, some of the recent things I've seen, it'll shell shock founders into kind of like creating this culture of fear around, oh, we cannot, we cannot do anything here or we cannot succeed. And that would stall innovation. But listening to this conversation, it seems like serious founders will still innovate and even though we don't have a perfect solution because we have to go and partake in a 50-state uh, um, buy-in cycle, it's no different than managing any other risk. And you kind of manage that, you execute on it, you move forward and run to your point. As a founder, your biggest job is reducing risk. You just methodically reduce this one just like how you would any other. If I could add one more note of optimism um, for you, it's kind of, it's very easy to sort of demonize regulators here. And in general, regulators are people that have chosen this career because they want the same things that sort of we all want. They do totally. want good product to get to people. They may have different views about what that is, but the, there are going to be validity in those views and there can be a great source of yeah. feedback and they can be as just as frustrated by these structural um, challenges of the system probably even more so than um the, than we are and so you know there is really it is important to sort of understand that there um sort of like fundament there is a fundamental way that if you're trying to um make people's lives better than your arm um, on the same side as the regulators and if you get some hesitation from them there's probably some truth in the feedback you're getting from that and it uh, it's not like the people that are fundamentally trying to achieve different things and that should give everyone some hope i think 
No, I, 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 uh, my favorite saying to when I meet regulators is that my, my number one regulator is still my aunts and my uncles that use payday products. And trust me, there is not nothing a regulator can do to me that my aunt, I'm terrified of my aunt, trust me. <laughs> so she thinks this thing is not helpful for her. It's a big problem at the family table and you don't want a big problem at my family table. Okay. <laughs> I, I love it. And yeah, I would echo the sentiment. I think everybody is trying to do the right thing. I think everyone's trying to build a more equitable um, financial world. And I think regulators, banks, fintechs, I think everyone's goal is aligned. Yeah, guys, if people, the listeners have to reach out to you, Adam, where can they find uh, you? Adam at claros.com, K-L-A-R-O-S. Um, advantages of um, being a small company, easy email address. Rodney, <laughs> what about you? Yeah, pretty similar. Uh, Rodney at solofunds.com. Awesome. Come find us. Well, Rodney, Adam, it's been great to have both of you here. Thank you so much for taking some time. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. That's been Thank great. You. To our listeners, thanks for joining. Um, if you want to listen to more episodes, please go to synapsefy.com slash under the hood. Did you know a podcast episode like this can provide literally dozens of marketing content assets for your business? It's brought to you by Content Monster, your go-to for engaging marketing content like this podcast or remote video production. It's not just a podcast. It's your marketing powerhouse. Visit contentmonster.com to learn more. That's contentmonsta.com.